Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for being here. We have another great guest in store. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred, and good morning, everyone. And joining us this week is Henry Greenidge. Henry is the 2020-2021 Fellow in Residence at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at New York University. His work focuses on the connection between race, poverty, and transportation with an emphasis on mobility technology, including autonomous vehicles. Henry was formerly at GM Cruise and has held policy advising roles at the NYC Department of Transportation, the New York City Mayor's Office, and the US DOT. Henry, we've been wanting you with us for the podcast for a long time, and yeah. so happy you're here. Nice to have you, Henry. I'm finally glad to be here. Thank you, thank you, Alan. Good to see you guys. Well, the experience and perception you bring to mobility and transportation issues really are unique. In your fellowship position, one of the goals is to promote policy and research efforts into the equity and impact on Black Americans. So let's start with a couple of snapshots, a little history lesson maybe. Okay, sure. Um, let me back up for a second. I will say at the outset that I wasn't the natural sort of transportation guy. You know, I sort of fell into mobility and transportation. I had a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience at the U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, serving as a policy analyst and advisor under both secretaries under uh, President Obama. And that's what really introduced me to the topic. Got a chance to travel the country a little bit and really understand how things work at both the federal level and the local level. I think what has kept me in transportation um, really is the fact that I hadn't seen a lot of people that look like me. And I hadn't seen a lot of the issues that were important to me and my community and the black community uh, being discussed. And so it took several years to kind of hone up on how our ecosystem functioned uh, and sort of how I could play a role in tailoring it to um, including individuals that long had been not included. As you know, you know, our country was fund, was founded in, in a way that was essentially a moral disaster, right? Uh, we, we called it slavery, uh, but essentially what it was was human trafficking. And I think, you know, we, we use the term slave and slavery so much that we forget, you know, how bad this really was and how traumatic it really was to the Black Americans in this country today. A lot of the issues from back then we see every day and we don't even realize it, especially as it relates to transportation. I think, you know, in trying to uh, address some of these ills in our society, we have focused on criminal justice reform, we have focused on education, but we really haven't focused on transportation. And transportation is a way to really get uh, that economic uh, stability, um, economic uh, opportunity, um, you know, that most Americans do enjoy. African Americans have long been left behind. And we know that um, from some of the planning processes, we know what redlining did. We know that the federal government was complicit in that. We know that uh, when Eisenhower established the uh, interstate highway system, that it cut off communities. And, you know, it was done purposefully. And the federal government used their funding uh, to ensure that community associations and other entities would sort of keep the races apart and also keep them unequal in terms of uh, the, the amount of resources. And so if you look around this country today, there are remnants of that. Um, I 
did see a headline, I think it was the LA Times that said that the interstate highway system is sort of the, the monument uh, of slavery in our past. And that really stayed with me um, because it's something that we see and we use and we don't even think about. Um, this was an important week for transportation. Yeah, the, the, you know, the Henry, Henry and they yeah. building the interstate highway system in cities, that's where the cheap land was. Okay, you'd go in yeah. there and in the in the late fifties, you'd go in there and announce that there was going to be a, a freeway coming through. Everybody who owned anything yeah. was sell, sell, sell. Prices even dipped before they went in there. And guess where they went? They went exactly, exactly where you lived. Yeah, uh, yeah. Surprise, surprise, surprise! Right? They, they they the, didn't go through yeah. the nice properties here in New Jersey. In fact, right. the the piece of I ninety five that was never built was well not right out here, not five miles from where we lived through some of the richest properties that, that people wouldn't sell. You know, and yeah. go ahead, yeah. keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's not so. I think what is surprising for a lot of people is just that everyone was sort of complicit in this, right? It was the federal government that you had your homeowners association, then you had your professional planning organizations, your professional real estate organizations. Everyone was a part of it. There's evidence of this. There's a great book, The Color of Law, that really breaks down all of this and how it plays a part in our transportation system today. Um, as I was mentioning, you know, it was a big week in transportation at the federal level just because there was the federal funding bill. Um, that has been problematic for years. I don't think we've adequately talked about the impact of race in our transportation funding. Um, and, you know, there are all kinds of issues uh, surrounding the bill, particularly the pay for it. That's always the issue, right? Um, but we also need to really look at the impact once a bill is passed. So we've never actually um, addressed uh, the race question in the federal funding bill uh, sufficiently. Um, we don't acknowledge it. Uh, there have been programs that theoretically could help uh, black communities, uh, but we don't actually talk about the root of the issue. So I think that's one of the first problems. Uh, the second problem, which is huge, is the public transit component. Um, the federal government has, has, has slowly sort of decreased the amount of funding that goes into our public transit agencies and that directly impacts African Americans, how they get around, how they commute. Because of the way the system uh, was, was, was founded, uh, there are a number of transportation deserts. I live in one in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, there are a number of places where there are two fare zones people all they are trying to do is get to work uh, and they have difficulty doing so and that's because of uh, the way our system was founded. And so there, there are fundamental issues there. I think um, where there is sort of a bright side is, you know, urban technology and what these technological solutions can do to help us with these issues. You know, today we have data analytics, we have AI, uh, we have uh, machine learning, computer learning. We have all these great uh, pieces of technology that could help resolve some of these issues. However, I fear we are in danger of making some of the mistakes of the past and that that is excluding people, marginalizing Black Americans uh, and their needs uh, in, um, in efforts to really put forward this technology uh, in a way that doesn't serve everyone. And so what I mean by that is we've seen, you know, the TNCs. Now, the TNCs were a game changer for us, okay? Um, as, a, as a Black man growing up in New York City, I can tell you the number of times that, you know, taxi cab denied service to me. You know, my friend made a move. Movie was on HBO about our experience getting home from a party in high school. 
Um, it was called Get Home Safe. And, you know, we got home safe, but it wasn't because of the taxi cabs. We walked, right? So TNCs were able to, you know, provide services, right? But it's still an open question as to how they treat their, their drivers and those who are of color, right? So there are issues there. I think with micromobility, you've seen better um, engagement, right? Um, but they're still not there. And the reason why is because they're operating under this false premise that we can just ignore the race question, right? And what I mean by that is equity. Well, what is equity? Um, it doesn't mean equality. Um, equity really means that you're looking at two sets of people, particularly black Americans, and you're recognizing that they've been through hundreds of years of oppression, right? And you have to start there before you can even have a, a further fruitful discussion. You have to recognize that many promises were made and not kept. You have to understand that people were ignored for years and that continues today. And so when you want to engage in these communities and you do so uh, thinking that you have the solution when you're not ready to listen to what their issues are, um, you already have made a mistake. Um, I think where the AV industry comes into play is we are getting to a point where public education is, is where we need to focus our efforts, right? For many years, we focus on um, articulating what the benefits were, safety, environmental, uh, congestion reduction, right? However, a lot of those arguments have not penetrated uh, Black Americans, and Black Americans are an important component of our society. But Henry, but Henry, I'd even like to argue that those aren't the benefits of this. The benefits, the benefits are really safety. The benefits are providing mobility opportunities for people who have not had yeah. mobility opportunities before what I call the mobility marginalized. You know, you know, that's the fundamental value of this thing. It, it, it doesn't care which community it serves. If you design it that way, it will go in there. Right. And instead of right. you right. having to wait for the bus, maybe you don't have to sit in the back of the bus anymore, but you still have to wait for it. You still have to go to the stops where it decides somebody else decided that those stops are there. And it doesn't even go to where you want to go. My goodness, yeah. now having a system that in fact says, hey, I don't care. I'll take you from wherever you are to wherever you want to go. Just let me know. Right. But it's got to be because right. Alan... that mobility, isn't that, isn't that the fundamental value? Go ahead. I agree sorry, with you. Sorry except to for jump one in. Thing. Go ahead. What you just said was the system will tell you where you want to go and it will get you there. But who is designing the system? If you have people who all look the same designing the system <laughs> based off of premise that everyone is equal, you have a problem. You have a problem because it's not taking into account uh, the, the millions of Black Americans that have been left behind. And what happens when all of those people who are designing the system look and think the same, you're missing valuable, you're missing valuable uh, perspectives, okay? And that's where you make the mistakes. The same mistakes we've already made. We've, we, we've seen this play out before. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know? I mean, you know, you can't have me design the system. I have no idea, I'm, but I'm the one that's designing the system, or I'm, you know, I'm part of that right. group, and that group is in where, it's in Chandler, Arizona. It's it's in the it's where the 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 whatever we want to call them uh, live in San Francisco, okay? You know the the people who the the the. the those guys. It's not where the people who haven't had mobility, a, a, a quality mobility system, 
it's not where they are. I mean, as, as I like to talk about here around here, if, if you live in Ewing Township, New Jersey, and you want a job at, at, at a $15 an hour job at the, uh, at the Amazon distribution facility in, in, in Titusville, what do you have to do? You have to get up at five and catch a 518 bus to the end of the line, wait for a, for a shuttle by the county to get you there to punch in at seven o'clock. It takes you an hour and 45 minutes each way. It's an 18 minute ride in, in, a, in an Uber, a Lyft or, an, or a driverless vehicle. I mean, come on. I mean, those are the folks that, that need, need the help. And, and unfortunately, most of the ecosystems that have been developed for these systems, have, as you very well said, and I want you to say it again, guess, who, guess who's in there? It's me, not you. Enormously unfortunate. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So a couple things, Alan. I've, yeah. I've always appreciated <laughs> you uh, and your focus on on the mobility man, right? And you know, my understanding is the way you see it is, is the mobility disadvantage encompasses several different groups. You've talked about teenagers, you've talked about the elderly, you talked about low income individuals. Well, I want to be clear, what I am talking about is black against. I want to call Absolutely. it out. Yeah. We're, we're afraid to just say it. We were, we're afraid well, to say then it. I'll we're say it. Who's, who's the big people. community in that community? If you put all those people in there, I don't know if we take just numbers, but guess what? Guess yeah. who's mostly yeah. poor? Huh. I don't have to say yeah. it. You know, so, we all know what the answer this is. is what makes guess, it guess most needs it. I mean, even, you know, you can do it for some teenagers, but teenagers have, have mothers and fathers that, that have, you know, more cars in their, in their driveways to take them wherever they want to go whenever. And they probably have hired help to do it also if they, if they need it. But darn it, you know, that community now, you know, in the past, I haven't one, wanted to specifically say it because I can't say I understand. it. You can say it. Okay. I I want I you to say it. Go, come on. Well, I want you <laughs> yeah. to say yeah. it. I want, and, but I want you to understand that when I say black people, when I, I use the term black, and I often use African American, but you know, for me, and this is my definition, black is the more comprehensive term. It represents the full sort of spectrum of the diaspora. Um, you know, I really don't consider myself African American. My, 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 my dad is from Barbados, right? Uh, and so I do consider myself a Caribbean American. I consider myself black. And I think black more accurately describes me. Um, but the point is that there's a wide spectrum of people in that definition. And these companies need to approach these communities with that understanding. It is not a monolithic uh, society. You can't base uh, your understanding of that society uh, ba based on what you've heard and, and the stereotypes. And because we haven't talked about race in, in a really um, uh, fundamental way, we, we, we make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and I think what the industry needs to do is focus on how to communicate effectively. And that starts with listening. And, you know, I've been told absolutely that it's to do that. It, 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 it takes more work. Yeah. And to no. me, it's not more difficult. It's just different. It's not it's difficult. Diff it's Look, different. Okay. I, I, th I think I want to go back to the little thing and, and, and argue with you a little bit. You, you talked about education. It, it's, it's not education of the people who you're going to serve. It's education of the designers and the developers and the, the, uh, of these systems of the, of the people who are going to be using it or should be using or should be your primary customers or should be your focus. So it really is, as you just pointed out, it's a listening set 
session to go down into the community, into the neighborhoods, and there talk to the people as to what they want. Not necessarily even their representatives that they've elected, who knows who elected them. I mean, they've, of course they've elected them. Um, but it really means getting down to the community. And so little of this is involved in getting down to the community and, and opening up and say, yeah. What is it that you need? Where do you want to go? Hey, I, I think I know where you want to go, but hell, I don't. Okay. Yeah. And, and, there, and, and, and I don't think it's subtle here. I don't think this is a subtle point. This is a key point that, and key point that you make and keep going. Sorry to interrupt in here. but well, uh, Henry, Henry uh, I was going to ask you how often yeah. you've seen this from, from the inside, from different levels of government. You've seen it from inside GM crews. I'm not asking you to knock anybody, any governmental agency yeah. or, or, or former employer, but I'll is, do the is, knocking. <laughs> Go is, ahead. Is, is, is race brought up at all when, when these things are really being discussed and decisions being made? Respectfully, at all of the institutions that I've worked at, um, listen, I've had great experiences there, but we've never really talked about race. Um, but I think the beauty of this moment uh, in which this country is experiencing civil unrest is that we finally are able to do that and folks are more comfortable. You know, I can't tell you how many um, messages I've received from white colleagues um, in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, just saying, hey, just wanted to let you know that I'm thinking about you and I know it must be difficult for you and, and it, it must have been difficult for you all, all those years in the past. And I gotta tell you, it was very difficult to receive some of those messages, but what it taught me was we might finally be able to be at a place to have these discussions. I think folks have been very careful about the ways in which they talk about race. They don't wanna offend anyone, um, but it hasn't been helpful. It doesn't solve our issue what we really need to do is really stamp out racism. And if you're not actively working to dismantle it, you're actually perpetuating it. And that's the key point that I wanna bring home here. You have to take active steps to dismantle racism, both in your organization as, as an AV company and in the, the world in which you're trying to improve. And I'm not seeing that just yet. Uh, I'm hoping that this is the beginning of a conversation and that some folks are actively working internally to do that. Um, you know, being in the AV industry for the last couple of years, um, and I'm not just talking about my former company, I, I haven't seen it in the industry at all. It's like it just doesn't exist. And what I'm saying is, you know, if you are a CEO or if you're part of the leadership team of one of these organizations, you're doing your company a disservice by not actively uh, working to, uh, to, to address the root causes of racism and thinking about the, the impact that your product is having uh, in, this, in this society, which is inflicted by racism. Um, Not just the product, thing, but the hiring too, I assume. So yes, you, you took the, the words right out of my mouth. What, what we really do need to focus on is the workplace. Um, I'm really glad that you guys have me here today because when I wouldn't, what I wanted to express is just my experience experience, you know, the black experience working at an AV company, working at a tech company. I got to tell you, it's not easy. You know, um, I'm one of the most passionate people that you'll meet about the AV industry. Um, I loved being in the AV industry. I firmly believe um, in the promise of AVs. However, being a black male, um, working in the industry is often difficult. It's often taxing. You're often uh, be, uh, being required to take on many of the burdens of your entire community 
uh, when, when you're working in these uh, organizations, and it's hard. And I think that uh, many company, companies believe that if they're hiring a diversity and inclusion uh, person, that that helps uh, with the issue. And I got to tell you, I haven't had uh, be effective for a number of reasons. Number one, most of those folks aren't empowered to deal with the senior leadership team. You know, they are putting together policies and they're putting together statements and, you know, it, it's not really well received unless part of the, the, the leadership team and they're able to accurately um, um, address uh, the, the direction of the company. So that's number one. A lot of these folks are managers when they, they should be minimally at the director or, or senior uh, level, right? Uh, you've got that. Uh, you've got um, the pipeline issue, right? And the recruiting. Um, I'm told that it's very difficult to find black candidates. Um, Got to tell you, I know a ton of black candidates. On behalf of my former company, I did travel the country and I met some amazing candidates. For some reason, it doesn't seem to translate during the hiring process. And I think I, I know why. And the reason why is because most of these companies are built, uh, I'm sorry, but most of these companies focus their recruiting efforts on getting the people in the company to bring in their friends, all the people in their community. Well, if the people in the company uh, are only represent one or two races, well, who do you think is going to be joining the company? There needs to be better efforts to recruit uh, black candidates in particular. And these companies aren't equipped to do it themselves. They need to go out and work with other organizations who focus on that. There are some wonderful organizations who do that. There's an organization called Nextplay. There's the Third Good uh, Marshall Foundation that also does it. There's the Emma Bowen Foundation. There are countless of other countless other groups that uh, work with black top, top black engineering talent. Um, and then you need to to really exhaust the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities. There are some that have wonderful technology programs. They're producing top talent. And this needs to happen. There have been several articles over the last 10 years talking about the need for, for talent. We need this, right? So why don't we actively take steps to go out and recruit black talent? Um, and, and, and I think it, it has to be more than just because it, it's um, you know, the right thing to do, unfortunately. You know, for these companies, the way we need to frame it, it needs to be that you know, this is integral to your business. The, the United States is moving to a majority uh, minority uh, country. You've got millennials and general uh, um, and generation Zers who actually care about the makeup of the companies uh, that they support, right? And so you have to do this. Um, and again, if you if you're at a senior leadership team and you're not talking about this uh, and figuring out ways to attract more black talent, particularly engineering, you're doing your company a disservice and i will say one thing further there will be a day of reckoning for you and you will pay for it henry i'd like to take it even farther on the on the um on the recruiting so you know anytime you recruit anybody you have some sort of objectives and so on and you rank order people right guess what the objectives the whole the whole rank order the weighting of this versus that versus that versus that is what I guess I'll call it, it's all racist, okay? Because yeah. if in fact, it if, if one looked this at the it, system hey, yeah. to what extent, to what extent is, is a fundamental knowledge of the black community one of the terms in that group of things that go up and, 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 and rate a person? Yeah. <laughs> Non-existent, okay? Yeah. And probably every white guy would get a zero there. Every black guy would get a hundred, but it's not even there. 
Okay, so in fact, yeah. it goes it goes to the fundamental roots of the whole the whole recruiting process as to what makes one person better than another in your decision processes. The talents that are really needed here are not being paid attention to. Why? Because they haven't been paid attention to in the past, and one could argue as what have been paid attention to stuff that is good for good old white guys. You know, I mean. <laughs> It's, it's, it's terrible. Okay. <laughs> well, it's terrible. Okay. <laughs> and so that has to change. Only one piece of it, yeah. Recruiting yeah. is only one piece of it. The other piece of it is making sure that when you get this talent, you know how to include them in of the course. company culture. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, listen, there's yeah, a whole yeah. discipline to this as well. And I can tell you, it's not being done uh, in a way uh, that, that would breed success. Right. Um, I think that, um, just in my own personal experience, you know, you, you have to r realize, uh, Alan, a lot of us bring our trauma to work. We spend more time at work than any other place. And I'll give you a real example. You know, during COVID, I'm watching what's happening in my community. You know, we all have seen the numbers. Black Americans are impacted uh, by COVID-19 more so than any other race. And so I'm looking at my social media timelines and I'm seeing all the death notices, okay? I'm seeing all of that, you know, and then I'm, I'm coming to work, you know, putting my best effort forward and folks are not talking about what I'm seeing, you know, because they're not experiencing it at yeah. all. And so yeah. I'm, I'm tasked with focusing on our day-to-day -day work where, you know, my world is crumbling. Okay. Uh, it's like that for a lot of, uh, blacks who work in tech and i'm not just talking about covid the trauma that we experience as members of our society that has been marginalized uh, that has been brutalized uh for hundreds of years we have to show up to work as if it doesn't exist and that is no longer sustainable emotionally it is taxing um it's unfair and that does not help our cause at all i think many of us are at a point where we're, we're done with that at least i know i am um, I think uh, that companies need to recognize that. There was this Harvard uh, Business Review um, study a couple of years ago that uh, took a look at tech companies. And essentially they said that 38% of blacks at these companies felt that their company would not be supportive of them talking about race at work. I think that is significant. Um, the larger uh, group in the study uh, also felt that race was not talked about at work and it was a problem for them. People are yearning to talk about this. It is okay to talk about it. Um, and I think these moments, and unfortunately, I think in the aftermath of the killing of uh, George Floyd, we need to take a look at that. We need to get more comfortable talking about race um, or, or we risk perpetuating the same mistakes of the past. You know, um, we have to understand that for blacks, another example is, you know, the list of the number of black people being killed, it, it keeps growing, you know, and, and thanks to, you know, cell phones now able to see what, it, what has actually been happening uh, for decades, for, I'm sorry, for hundreds of years, but there have been so many people that we've lost. We've lost, you know, Trayvon Martin, we've lost Eric Gardner, Breonna Taylor's killers are still out there. And as a black male, I identify with that. That is trauma for me, okay? And I'm showing up to work and you want me to perform, but you're not acknowledging what's actually happening uh, in our society. And 
quite frankly, it should be affecting you too. We're all Americans. We're all in this together. Why do, why do I care more about it than you do? Um, and so we, we, we need to figure out ways to have these public discourses. Uh, it needs to be beyond just an employee resource group planning something. This needs to be done at the executive level. I think each company needs to figure out where they stand on, on equity. I think they all, all need to work together with the staff to come up with uh, racial equity statements. They work and figure out what values are important to them and they let everyone know where they stand. I think all these company, companies need to acknowledge the, the existence of algorithmic bias. That we all have our own bias and we show up to work with it and that we need to take active steps to address it, uh, to address it so that it doesn't appear in the code and so that we're not creating products that reflect uh, the sort of uh, the, the sort of group thing, uh, that has gotten us here in the first place. So th those are just a few of the steps that I, I think we need to take. And you know, Alan, there have been people who've been working on this for years. This yeah. is not my, my discipline. You know, I wanted to share my experience, but there have been folks who, who've been in this, particularly Black women, uh, who, who they haven't been heard. They actually have solutions. They have policy toolkits that, you know, uh, AV company can take a look at and start implementing Right now, are they doing that work? I suspect many of them aren't, Alan, and, and that's a big problem. Is, is, yeah. is there too much lip service in corporate America now to, to all of this? You know, how, how hopeful are you that this is going to be real, that something real is going to come of it? I am hopeful. I am hopeful. I think that's me by nature. Um, I am hopeful. I think um, that we are, we're at a place where we can have conversations. Um, what I'm more hopeful about is that we can take a look at our past actions and, and realize that they probably aren't effective. A case in point is many companies like to throw money at the problem. Let's just give to the NAACP. Let's give to the Urban League. That's great. We should do those things, but you can't stop those. You can't stop at just those efforts. That does not uh, stamp out racism at all. Uh, and so companies also need to, to check their, their their privilege, right? You, you have, I'm sorry, I'm blinking out on the gentleman's name, Alex Ohanian, right? Uh, Serena Williams' husband, uh, who stepped down from the board of Reddit to make space. So he gave up his power and privilege to to, to make uh, make space for gentlemen like Michael uh, Sable uh, to join that board. And uh, anyone who knows him and his work at Y Combinator knows what an asset he will be to Reddit. Uh, and and that is an example of folks at the top checking their privilege and, and making space for others to join the table. Well, you know, from my, from my perspective, which isn't a very good perspective, I have to admit, I mean, look at, look at where I am, but, uh, you know, I, I, I am somewhat hopeful that, that, that things are a little bit different now. That, that in fact, um, this is, I don't want to say a little bit more sincere, I'm suggesting, I think there's just a realization, oh my God, you know, we really have been, you know, really racist. As I mentioned to you earlier, I was, I was very proud of, of um, President Eisgruber's uh, um, decision um, uh, last yeah. week to basically, um, you know, move on from the name of Woodrow Wilson in, at Princeton. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a minor victory, but, but, 
boy, when, when you think about it, you know, here's this grand old white guy and oh my goodness, uh, he's not grand and old. And in fact, he's been propped up and my goodness, you know, we don't need to tar and feather him or anything like that or something like that. But, uh, you know, we don't need to exalt him either. And and let's bring the darn thing down and start start really looking at, at what people do and, and what people have done and, and so on. And I... And I think it was done with all sincerity. You know, it's a very small step, you know, but but I think it's, at least as I look at it, I think it's it's a really realization that, my goodness, um, you know, we really do have to look very deeply internally and see, uh, you know, get get the get the biases the hell out. And I think in transportation, which is you know, which is what I do, you know, 24 hours a day. I mean, I, I can see it and we shouldn't do it in the stuff that we're building now because it has the opportunity to basically uh, provide a, an enormous improvement quality of life of those that haven't had that opportunity. I also like to play out, you know, a thing that we have here in New Jersey with respect to low income housing. You know, we've done a uh, let's call it a reasonable job of low-income housing. But guess where low-income housing goes, where the cheap land is? Why is it cheap land? Is because it has no mobility opportunities there. So guess what? You have to go have a car to go live in low-income housing. So you have high mobility costs to go with low low housing costs, which don't give you low living costs, which is what you would want to do. So what we have to do is really look at, at if we want to provide opportunities, uh, better opportunities for low income is not only for housing, but for mobility and quality of life and everything else. And we better add and make sure that the transportation that we provide there is not the, you know, the, 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 the least uh, that we can, uh, give them, but in fact, it's high quality, the, what everybody else has. So, you know, the, I, I think those are important concepts to, to begin to, to allow for the economic opportunity of, of really classes of people that we've stuck yeah. and and put there and 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 my goodness i you know it's just it's been ugly it's ugly yeah listen it it, it impacts every facet of american life yeah. um alan imagine if you are uh, a recent graduate of princeton and you had to put woodrow wilson's name on your resume how would that make you feel? I, I finally, you know, I, mean, I, I finally realized I had the opportunity to realize it four years ago and I sort of passed up on it. I admit it. But I guess, you know, this time around, damn it, that is just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, cut it out. No, uh, please. That is just like, uh, no, thank you. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's taken me a while. Yeah. I think it's taken a lot of us a while. But, you know, for you whatever view exactly. I have of the scenery, I think yeah. I think it's a new day. I hope it's a new day. Yeah. And we'll Alan, continue. Oh, go and ahead, think, Henry. Sorry. The last thing I'll say is, like, you got there. I, I want to say a lot of this isn't, you know, retribution for, for us not realizing certain things. We have the opportunity to realize it now. And so that's what I'm saying. Let's open our hearts and yeah. minds and really take, you know, a step back and look at our own power and privilege and realize how we can improve things. And I think the AV industry 
has this wonderful moment because they largely haven't launched yet. They can really yeah. fulfill their, their promise, which is to improve yeah. the quality of life of many Americans in this country, including black Americans. As I say, they could come to Trenton and do this instead of Chandler, Arizona. Well, in addition to Chandler, Arizona, I don't want to suggest that Chandler, Arizona doesn't deserve it too. Fine, great. But geez, you know, why isn't Trenton um, up there? You know, those, those folks really could use the mobility. If we could figure out how to deliver what they want, but for us to come out and, and look at where we've tested these things, which is on freeways and, and white suburbs, and 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 who who have we put the ride in there? A bunch of people look like me, okay, as opposed to go to this community and say, um, what would be good for you? What would you like? What, what is it? I don't know. I'd let them, let us and, hear from them. And as, as Henry was saying, to, to, to do that effectively, to go into the communities, you need to have a different look to those employees from these companies that are going people in. People from the community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, and I think they want to, my, the reception for the, the things that I've, propose which are you know pretty wild stuff in trenton has been nothing but okay so when i first we had the first meeting we decided we would have our original operational design domain in one section of trenton and then we talked to the councilwoman from the other section north trenton hey why don't you start in my area okay why don't you come in here why don't you talk to our kids why don't you come in and talk to our students guess what our kids if you live within a mile and a half of a school we don't provide transportation they all have to walk okay and so hey they might and, and so on and so forth down to that grass i mean they want it and, you know yeah. some people say well you're using them as guinea pigs i mean I don't know. I don't know what to say against that. No, the answer is no. Looking to see, hey, what is it that that they think will improve their quality of life? Because as I look at these mobility machines, they could provide service anywhere to anybody. Yeah. They're they're not yeah. unless they're designed to be racist. They won't naturally be racist. There's nothing in the code, base code that says hey being racist is good okay try to be racist but you know depending on who writes the code who does that who defines the operational design domain who does the testing who goes out there and makes sure that the community welcomes it or they that it, it is welcoming to the community speaks the language of the community integrates with it doesn't insult them supports them uh, you know, to me, that's what's important. Yeah, I'm, I'm and I, I don't think there's a, some of that is going on in Columbus, I think, you know, uh, some of it is going on in some places, but it, I don't think it's, it's the normal. You know, we're going to pause for just a moment to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more information, you go to MOTOETF.com. On the website, uh, you should read the white paper. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution under the Insights and News tab. There's some good information there to help you make an informed decision about investments. You may know that ETFs uh, 
help to spread your risk with investments and focus on a particular category. And the site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. We've got so much more to talk about. Uh, let's bring up some headlines. And Henry, we certainly welcome your participation here. Uh, at the end of June, Alan, Amazon made the anticipated announcement that it's buying Zooks, the California company that's been working on autonomous ride sharing. And you think the focus maybe of Zooks may be shifting under Amazon. Well, I don't know. I guess he who buyeth owneth and controlleth. I don't know. I don't know whatever. Uh, I can't imagine Zooks is going to tell Amazon, hey, this is what should be going on. I think Amazon is going to tell Zooks, hey, this is what we want. And if I look at it, uh, at Amazon, what do they need? They're, they're, they're fundamentally built on, on free shipping. And but uh, you know, and they offer it by burying and and eating the shipping costs. But all of a sudden, if you can make the shipping costs essentially be free, uh, you get to throw to the bottom line and put in your pocket all that you've been eating. Wow! I mean, that's uh, you're the customer for this thing, and and where are you going? Of course, you're going to direct it there. That's where that's where you're going to have the biggest biggest bang earlier and I think I, I, I can argue that in fact it may give us uh, driverless mobility machines for people uh, earlier and better. Well uh, Henry, because, le Henry let me bring Henry into this because Amazon has a track record of coming into New York City that did not end well uh, for them because they did not get the community involvement. Maybe yeah, they would need to learn, I learn, learn well, that lesson when it comes to if they're getting into the ride sharing business. I think that's true, but I also think that is an oversimplification of the issue. I think the New York politics uh, also played a substantial role. So it wasn't mm -hmm. just the lack of community engagement. Uh, there, there was a political scene here. And, and uh, Alan, I know you know a little bit about it. So that certainly played a role. Look, Zooks is a great company. I've always been excited about their work. I'm hoping, I think they said they were going to release their vehicle uh, this year. I don't know with COVID whether the, the plan is still on for doing that. They have a black CEO. I think um, Amazon is great for them. Uh, as you know, they've been looking for a buyer for quite some time, and I think it's a perfect pairing. And you know what's happening in the industry. You know, it's all about partnerships. It's all about a way to sort of decrease your cost. I'm sorry, well, spread out your costs. Right. Uh, we're in this for the long haul. The industry is probably yep. going to be at a, a, a slow crawl for a bit. And uh, Amazon provides Zooks uh, with that with that capital and those resources. Yep. And so I, I'm looking forward to what they do. Yeah, but I, I think in, in also I think uh, uh, with Rivian and and uh, what Amazon has invested in yeah. Rivian, and and the fact that, that what I've one of the things I've argued if you're moving packages to my door or your door or your neighborhood or whatever I can do it do that between one a.m. and five a.m. and there's nobody using the infrastructure. There are no kids chasing balls. There are no bicyclists out there. It's a heck of a lot easier to do it then. And you can get all your your AI and all your technology really working so that it's safe. Uh, it's easier to move packages and, and than than it is to move people. And in the meantime, you're learning more about the people that you want to move, what's important to them, where they are, and in fact, then are better ready to go out and serve.
serve them after you've gone through that. So I see, I see that this is an enormous opportunity uh, for uh, the whole industry to really move to, in the end, provide um, uh, real high quality mobility services uh, to everyone, especially the black community. You know, Waymo is partnering with Volvo Car Group, which will integrate Waymo Driver into an all-new mobility-focused electric vehicle platform for ride-hailing services. So that's out. There's, other, there's another Waymo headline. They've announced plans to expand autonomous truck testing in the Southwest. So. Yeah, well, you know, the Volvo, I, I guess I don't understand. I mean, um, as, as I look at, 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 the, at the driverless uh, mobility machine world, you know, the, to me, there, there's, there's the pe folks that develop the driver, uh, that piece of it, and there are the folks that develop the vehicle, that piece of it. I consider the vehicle to be a commodity. Uh, pff, any, uh, Anybody that's been in the business close to 100 years can do that very well. The folks that are de developing the drivers, that's the, that's the real trick. That's the real goose that has the opportunity to, to lay a golden egg. Uh, as everybody knows, I consider for you know whatever information I have, Waymo to be out there in front. And so they, to me, are the driving entity um, uh, oh, so a good move for Volvo, with, huh? A good move for Volvo. A good, good move for Volvo. I don't see what's so great in, about it uh, with respect to to Waymo, and uh, but of course details matter, and details matter. So, Alan, and then there, then there's yeah. a whole question of you know. You know where's Volvo ownership and and what and how's the IP uh, of of the driver going to leak out to the rest of the world? And I don't even want to go there because other people go there and by the do do da 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 da. Yeah, I'll keep quiet. <laughs> so Alan, it's, it's yeah. interesting you, you say that. Um, I had a different read only because Volvo okay. has been a brand synonymous with safety right yeah. for years yeah 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 and so the biggest open question about avs is safety right so uh, the two of them getting together now i don't know it makes me feel a little a little bit better it just does it, it, may, not, it may not reflect reality but i think from a perception perspective it, i think it's a, it's a good look for both of them yeah no i i think it's good and i think and, and certainly uh, volvo has been uh, safety and and in the in the past you know you go back four or five years and so on they certainly have been with their drive program focused on you know this this mobility um some of us think that that safety isn't the biggest driver of these things safety's a floor you've got to be safe if you're not safe you're not in business forget it we're not trying to get to absolute zero because zero is not not attainable i mean you know it's in the limit you know as time goes to infinity and all that kind of stuff uh but but really what were the important thing to me about about driverless is the opportunity to do affordable high quality mobility it's the opportunity to deliver to everyone what i have the opportunity to have um, we have two drivers in my household and we have four vehicles okay don't ask okay don't even i mean we have anytime we want to go anywhere to anywhere boom and uh, you know a lot of folks don't have that. They could have that if we create these mobility machines and 
given the cost of the, dri uh, the AI driver, that sucker goes to zero very quickly because of Moore's Law and all the other stuff. My goodness, you can do it affordably. And if we can get around the, this idea of hey, nobody ever rides together and so on, and we have a problem with COVID now and you know, ride sharing, Oh, and yeah. if you can ride share then the, the price goes the, the the cost of this thing goes essentially to zero very quickly with very very few people in the vehicle uh, you don't have to put 50 you go two or three fine it, it's it's providing and 24 7 from where you are to where you want to go all those the mobility piece to me is the great opportunity and to me that's the life changer the quality of life changer the opportunity provider to anyone but that's where i come from <laughs> I, I i i could very well be wrong okay on, on the trucking aspect of this uh waymo isn't alone in uh, expanding autonomous truck testing the verge reporting uh, too simple yeah working with logistics providers to lay what they say is groundwork for a coast-to-coast -coast autonomous trucking network i don't know again i i don't agree with those folks um um the fundamental opportunity for long-haul trucking of this technology is to improve the working conditions of the driver. Okay, it's an OSHA thing. If, if you look at, at how tough it is to drive a truck, an 18-wheeler, for a living to try to feed your family, and you see that if, in fact, you don't pay attention for 10 seconds of the eight, 10, 11 hours a day that you're driving, you die. It is enormously stressful. It is enormously tiring. If you, could, if you then take this technology and say, instead of us taking the driver the hell out of the vehicle, let's make the working conditions of that driver more palatable, more livable and maybe give him or her another hour of duty time so that they can actually improve their, the, the, the amount of money that they can send home to feed their families. That's what I think the value is. But is the financial incentive there for the now. companies to, to is the of financial incentive there? Of course it is, there? because if you, look at, if you look at the amount of insurance, self-insurance that a trucking company has to put into a truck, it's at least 10,000 bucks a year. Okay, truck life is what, four or five years? That's 50,000 bucks. Holy hell, you can buy this technology for probably 10. The return on investment is there. Plus, these are your employees. So you're CEO of that company, you don't care about your employees? I don't believe it. Every CEO cares about their employees. What do these poor employees have to do to, to be able to sit there and drive eight, 10 hours a day. I don't even want to suggest. And all of a sudden, why? Because of the stress that's involved, okay? And now you put technology in there to let them relax a little bit, to give them a break, to get a, give them a get out of jail free card instead in, in case, you know, all hell begins to break loose improve their working. I'm surprised, as I've said for, for years now, I'm surprised OSHA 
hasn't forced the trucking companies to put this technology in trucks to improve the working conditions of truckers. Okay. They, they do it. I guess they've done it in meatpacking plants. I guess they've done it in chicken plants. I guess they've done it certainly in the executive offices of Goldmine Sachs. Maybe there's a fear. I mean, you've got many truck drivers obviously still unionized. Maybe there's a fear that I've heard from some truck drivers that, hey, they're, they want to take my job away. So they but, fear but, the but technology. It's, but it's unfounded. It's unfounded. We are, who's, is any, how long is it going to take for someone to go put driverless trucks out there on the highway that are going to be on the highway 12 hours a day, every day, and be able to survive the mishaps that are going to occur when all of a sudden something happens to one of these trucks that doesn't have anybody in it? Are you kidding? I think as a society, we're nowhere near accepting that. You know, it's going to make the Elaine Herzberg incident, incident uh, travesty. I shouldn't call it an incident. <clears throat> Nothing. And so, you know, the thought, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who puts it in whose mind and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we're going to be able to go from cloverleaf to cloverleaf with these things on our interstate highways. And we're also going to do platooning to save, you know, 1% um, aerodynamic losses or something like that and have them where i don't believe it okay i don't believe it alan alan <laughs> sorry point, there was a there was a 60 minutes piece a few months back uh it covered uh too simple and starsky yeah. and they were doing yeah. testing in florida yeah. and yeah. the feedback was that the drivers had no idea that they were doing this and there's a lot of misinformation so the only thing i would offer is that engagement yeah. is needed you you, you gotta if you're if you plan to to Hate to use this word disrupt. You plan to be in that industry. You, you do have to have these conversations with folks. You have to have the conversation with the drivers. You should be asking the drivers, what is it that we can help you with that will make your life more livable as you work in these trucks? That's what it should do. Okay, yeah. because of course, if you're a truck driver, you know, apparently if you want to pass a truck, of course you have to run up on them and so on. So, and then, and then basically slingshot around. I don't know what they do as a driver. They're, they're very well trained. They know how to do that. The systems have to respond that way. They have to be designed that way. I'm assuming too simple is doing all that. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But the driver has to be part of the loop and the focus should be on the well-being of the driver. And I think every trucking CEO, I, I, you know, I'd love to get the CEOs of US Express, of, 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 J, of J.B. Hunt and, and all the others in here to discuss this. They're all, I, they're, I believe they're all concerned about the quality of life of their drivers because that's what they live by. I don't think a, one of them believes that they're gonna be able to operate without them. And in fact, uh, improving them, they are the emissaries of what's being, being taken behind them they're the representative that 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 stuff back there is valuable they can afford the driver now if they could get a little bit more productivity and and so on then it's even better sounds like a podcast to, to me <laughs> after hey 
Uh, I just <laughs> sorry, you know. Henry. I you know <laughs> I'm I'm the weird guy. <laughs> Go ahead. And don't look now, Alan, but the Tesla shares are continuing the, their rocket ride uh, over. Uh, I, I don't even know what they are over twelve hundred dollars a share as as we're speaking now. Uh, the company's market cap surpassing Toyota by a lot now, uh, making it the world's most valuable automaker. I don't know what to say about what's going on. Well, I, as I put in the newsletter, I'm glad I didn't short it at 400 because <laughs> then I'd be in real trouble. Um, um, yeah, and and I guess in, when I was running this morning, I was thinking about it and, you know, it, it really doesn't have much to do with it being an, an electric vehicle or it, it using electricity versus versus um, um, gasoline. I think it has much more to do with with their involvement with the customer, with their styling, uh, with the acceleration that you get, with, with in fact, the technology that it brings, uh, the, the continuing customer care and improvement to, that takes place. And, and uh, you know, we might call it a sort of an iPhone-ish type of thing. Yes, the iPhone might have been better than everything else, but, you know, it's styling, you know, kicked everybody's butt. And so, you know, I think it has a, a lot to do with that. And, um, <laughs> you know, the poor rest of the auto industry must be saying, oh, my goodness, um, um, you know, maybe our fundamental business model, it, I don't think it's a complete rush to EVs. I, I just... I don't know. I haven't done the customer study, but 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 my conjecture is that uh, that it's really not the tree huggers that are out there buying the, the Teslas. It's a whole different group of folks. Um, uh, you know, the tree huggers are buying the, the the Priuses and so on, and so it's not about that. Although it it make, might make them feel good about that, but but the the rest of it, uh, darn it, it's just appealed to to, to those kinds of consumers. But Henry, Henry, if we talk about EVs and yeah. we talk about infrastructure, this has to be rethought, doesn't it, as well? Because when you, have, when you have apartments, when you have public housing, whatever, there's no way for people to yeah. own EVs. Yeah, um, we have to look at how we're going to deploy the infrastructure, right? Um, I think this is a major, major issue. I sort of view... Uh, the, the deployment of EV infrastructure as sort of the, the ramping up of, you know, the planning to our cities. This will be sort of the next uh, generation. This is really going to be a major issue in terms of making sure we go into communities and, and do the engagement so folks understand what it means to have the chargers there. We need to get rid of range anxiety. Uh, and so I think a lot of work needs to happen. I know there, there are many, many discussions being uh, uh, organized now. But uh, the infrastructure is a major issue as we uh, deploy them in uh, communities. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd rather jump the whole personal ownership of these things to then have uh, fleets of these things out there just providing mobility to anybody from whenever they need it. And then for you don't need to own one of these things. And then, you know, don't have range anxieties. And, and, and those, those who are doing that, if a transit company would come would finally join the 21st century and see that these things are opportunities to really provide high quality mobility uh, to everybody, then, then my goodness, uh, they can do all that so much easier than we can do it as individuals. 
why do why do we want to own these things? I mean, aren't there other things? That, well, let's own a trumpet and a, and a violin. I mean, it's better than <laughs> put them on the wall than, than, or a train or whatever, you know, on the wall, on the mantle. But I don't know. So, whatever. Alan, I was on a call with the largest owners, uh, the largest black owners association of Teslas. Let me tell you something. These folks love their vehicles. They're educated on the issues. Uh, they can tell you what's coming next out of Tesla. They understand the, the, the whole landscape. Both like that are not going to be easily uh, uh, convinced to give up uh, their cars. Uh, and so I do want to articulate there are folks out there who, who love their vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> My dear friend, Yaina Moore, the former uh, uh, mayor of Princeton, um, she has her Tesla. I think she's on her second one. She absolutely loves it. She's yeah. not on whatever, but yeah, yeah no, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might skip Tesla and go straight to Rivian, uh, but I'm a big fan as well. <laughs> well yeah. On that note, we want to remind uh, folks to check out our videos from our Zoom tank sessions uh, before we wrap up here. That includes last month's that was focused on insurance and autonomous vehicles. You can check in at zoom-tank.com for what's next in the series as well. That'll do it for this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information is available at MOTOETF.com. And we really want to thank Henry Greenidge for joining us at long last. And we look forward to working with you going forward, Finally. Henry. Really look forward to it. And folks can find you on LinkedIn and Twitter. That's correct. Um, Twitter, it's at Henry L. Greenidge. And uh, LinkedIn, you can just Google me, Google me Henry Greenidge, H-E-N-R-Y-G-R-E-E-N-I-B-G-E. -E -E. Okay. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us, and you can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and stay safe. Have a great day, everyone.